Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I am very excited to share something a little different with you. I am talking to a head teacher, Sam Smith, from Plymouth and a parent from her school, Claire Oatway. Now, Claire is a leadership and strategy consultant and has worked in lots of sectors. And what she wanted to do with Sam and her team at the school was an immersive experience about what the future of education could look like in a completely AI and technology enabled sense in a sort of imagined scenario of a future without any teachers and to discuss that through so the team could start to think about what impact technology might have in the future in their school and in education more widely. Also, it's a really important way to start thinking about what are the high value tasks that only human beings and teachers and school leaders can do. So, as you might imagine, this conversation goes to some really fascinating places uh, and it's great to hear from Sam her openness to thinking about different models of education in the future and what that might mean. We also talk a little bit about uh, remote learning and Sam's school's experience of that. So I hope you find this conversation as interesting as I did. As ever, the podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I'm joined by Claire Oatway, who is a leadership and strategy consultant. Hey. Hi, Claire. And Sam Smith, who is head teacher at Stoke Dameral Primary Academy in Plymouth. Hi, Sam. Hello, Caroline. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation today, kind of about the future of, of, of schools and what a more kind of tech enabled school could potentially uh, look like. But before we get into that, could you both maybe introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background? Claire, why don't you kick off? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've spent the last two decades in strategy and transformation um, within the public sector and, and also within healthcare. Um, and last October, I really wanted to have a much broader reach and impact. I'd been involved in the politics, which had been fantastic at that high level. But I get most energy when I'm actually doing work on the ground and helping leaders do what they do best. Um, so I'm getting involved in those projects and working with tech businesses to help them understand business and businesses to help them understand technology. Um, and based on my own background and, and passion, I, I've just been so excited about this space for, for schools and for education, especially. Yep. Lovely. And, and Sam, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your, your school and yourself? So um, I am head teacher of Stoke Tunnel Primary Academy, which is a two form entry school in Plymouth. Um, this is now my second headship. I was a head teacher for 10 years in Camden before coming down to Plymouth. And there's definitely similarities and definitely differences. Um, Stoke Downwell Primary Academy is a city school serving a city demographic um, with the unique challenges that 
Plymouth brings in many ways and opportunities. It, it is, it's a, it's, it's a very different school than I had when I worked in London. There is a different perspective on education and sometimes potentially you could say not as forward thinking. Um, so the conversation with Claire about looking at education through a future focused lens was an exciting conversation to have. It is also the unique opportunity in Plymouth in that it is a city that has a very strong engineering mm. employment focus. Um, we have the fastest growing UTC in the country, um, opening up and opening up engineering to children. Um, and you have very high quality employment opportunities in the world of engineering and future planning. Um, but sometimes there potentially is not that match between the education provision in the city and the future potential in the city. So very much talking with Claire, and I also have the privilege of educating Claire's amazing boy. Um, so we have very enthusiastically said, Claire, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're trying, let's start where you are. Let's start here at our school and take some of these ideas you have and see what they may look like in, in a school context. Yeah, if I can build on that aspect around Plymouth, um, I'm born and bred from Plymouth. I, I moved out of the city and, and returned. Um, but one of my roles was supporting the Children and Young People's Trust, as was, and helping the 50,000 children in the city have a voice. Uh, and one of the issues that we found was around aspirations for young people because they just simply weren't exposed to the broad range of jobs that are out there. And similarly, there are some hugely exciting businesses in the city, particularly around technology, that children don't know exist. You know, we, we have amazing media um, companies that have been supporting GMTV, for example. We have uh, the autonomous craft here um, that's purely AI driven, um, that's part sponsored with IBM. It, it reached a billion people in terms of reach. And this is a fully autonomous craft that has, is planning to sail from Plymouth to the US. And so there are these snippets of hugely um, talented people, talented businesses that are around that are kind of disconnected from from schools and, and that's so unfortunate both for children and young people in terms of their horizons and also for those businesses who are desperate for, for talented bright young minds to come through. Yeah thank you for that and it is yeah as you say it's um really really a shame where there is that massive um disconnect between kind of enterprise and and opportunity and research that's sort of on on the doorstep and then that just isn't isn't that connection back in into education kind of helping young people understand um you know where 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 careers might take them and obviously it's a very rapidly evolving uh space as 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 well you know, I feel like it's one of those things where people say all these you know these jobs haven't even been imagined yet that um that you know probably uh, the the children in the playground outside uh, your office window just now, Sam. They you know by the time they're by the time they're going into them, they, you know they've not even been thought of yet. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about about the work that you did together? Well, should I dive in? Um, I've been so I've been curious about technology and, and AI for some time, and also how we can encourage uh, strategic decision makers to look forward 
Uh, I, as I mentioned before, I've worked in a number of partnerships and you ask leaders, you know, where will you be in three years time, five years time? And there's a kind of finger in the air going, well, we'll, we'll be a little bit better here or a little bit better there. But the pace of change is phenomenal right now. It's, it's accelerating as new technologies come on board, as different social habits and desires come on board. And so I'd wanted to um, really challenge leaders to think differently about the future. And, and one of the ways to do that is to um, create an experience, um, create a narrative and then immerse leaders in that narrative to see how they respond, see what gets them excited, what gets them passionate, what gets them frustrated or angry, and then work out where we'll go in the future. Um, so I developed this, uh, this is a concept around schools, um, in part to support schools and also to support other businesses to you know, kind of go through that experience and, and be challenged. Um, and I done a lot of the background research and, and took it to, to Sam as sort of like as a you know, real life, this is what I've explored, this is what I've read, I've tested it with you know, a governor friend who I've worked with in policy, I've tested it with a consultant who works with school leaders, but as, as someone who is actually doing the job day to day, <laughs> you know, what do you think? Is it accurate? Does it, does it fit? And, um, and Sam, you know, it, was, it was fantastic to be able to work with you to get your feedback on, on the presentation. And So what I'd say, Caroline, is it's an embryonic relationship at this point in time in that Claire is scoping out a development program to then communicate to schools to stimulate thinking and direction and to pe let people think outside of the box that we've put ourselves in in the British education system, which I think we'll all acknowledge was created in the Victorian era. Um, and to go, there's a different way of looking at that. And the relationship at this point is us to be a sounding board mm -hmm. for her in the development of that to put it back through the lens of education. Because Claire's coming with all of her knowledge around AI, future technologies, her, her strategic headspace. But then there's that thing that goes, wonderful this is schools this is how children function this is how it could look so in a way it's being a sounding board for her to look at the applicability within both the primary and then potentially the secondary sector um the initial touch base led to us looking at um because it was myself and my then virtual learning lead who were part of the presentation with claire and we we already had uh the link with the UTC, they're in the same trust as us. So we'd already been thinking about computing engineering theme within the curricula. So this year, um, the teacher, Mr. James Allington, who was in the initial sounding board with Claire, has been given a responsibility to take those ideas and build steam into primary with a headspace of what it looks like in an engineering UTC, with a headspace of what future future conceptual ideas are so that there is somebody within our staff body seeing this as a unique area that we need to develop that fits the context of the local environment and also future planning for children so at the moment the relationship is at its beginning but it's making sure that Claire's large scale comes down into the filter of this is primary education yeah and and it's, it's interesting to think about this kind of um 
future future lens and 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 how to start to think about taking action in the here and now i think it's you know it's very difficult for schools with you know um budget altering year to year demands of accountability changing you know year to year um to to think too far in the future um, but i mean it's it's very pertinent i don't know yeah. if you guys were watching the um program on sky last night with will i am no, tell us. About uh, he was that. visiting. He was visiting schools in Hackney. He was talking about. Um, I think it was in the Harris Academy in Hackney, and he was meeting with the children there about future future planning. And he was talking about the robotics um, institute he set up where in his hometown to provide that headspace for of ambition, particularly for um, black boys black girls to give them that headspace about future potential employment in future technologies and he was he was actually at the end of the program last night he was making a commitment that he'd bring his robotics work to the school in Hackney um, and was also talking about how and it was an interesting strand to it. I don't know if it was in your head Claire I might be going on a complete tangent right now Caroline that you go that's not the podcast feel free that the future planning engineering and robotics work has a massive underrepresentation in people of color, mm. but it's not a it's not a place in which that has had the diversity and inclusion as other fields have, have had. So it, it, it literally pertinent to the fact this was a, a big old a big program on TV last night, and here we are talking about it today. Yeah, and and for for sure that it, uh, diversity is a huge issue in the development of technology, it, especially you mentioned robotics and also AI um, mm -hmm. so um, there are far too few women involved far too few people of color involved people with disabilities um, older people people from deprived backgrounds and so you know with developing these global changing technologies that don't really understand what it means to and I think backing onto that, Claire, some of the things you're saying, it needs to be part of what you think about when you're seven, not what you have to get to university to even think is a possibility for you. And in that future planning of the way schools see themselves and the role of AI, virtual learning, all of that, if it doesn't start at the beginning, it becomes exclusive. And, and it can't. it is going to be so much part of the future. It cannot have a place which is exclusivity. Yeah. There's um there's a really good uh, campaign going on at the moment around uh, this girl is me and it's been developed by female tech leaders and they've put pictures of themselves as children up on display and then talked through how they got involved in technology and um, mm -hmm. there's some really uh, amazing women that have been involved and again it's breaking down those stereotypes and saying your yeah, girls can code. Girls can get involved in ethics, robotics. You know, there's no boundaries at all um, in, in this new world. Indeed, indeed. And part of the work that you that you did together was kind of thinking about what a sort of fully tech enabled uh, AI supported school would look like. Can you could you maybe sort of paint a picture for us and, and, and take us through it? Yeah, sure. Um, so as I described, I, I used a, a quite an immersive a, approach to the task and so developed a day in the life of Sam, who's age seven, uh, going to school. Um, and it was deliberately provocative in, in that I've 
gone completely out there where uh, the design of the curriculum is wholly AI driven um, and the delivery is, is AI delivered as well. Um, and with AI, it's autonomous, it's, um, it's also uh, oh, artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence, it's a very, AI is quite an umbrella term to use in this sense. Um, so even from the moment that young Sam, as I called him, uh, comes into school, there are no teachers on site. This is the concept. And it's deliberately set in that way to, as I say, challenge and provoke. Uh, so right the way from walking up to the gate and being scanned in order to take the register and let him in for the day, right the way through to his his uh, education and home support uh, after he after he leaves school, that's, that's included. So for example, um, as the day begins, the children are asked to, to describe what they want to learn that day. It's kind of very organic style of learning where they're able to uh, vote on, on subjects that they're interested in. But then the algorithms are able to look at the curriculum, look at where children are in their interests in terms of their developments and quickly come back with a, a lesson plan for the day that pulls through different pieces of media. Uh, so in the in a scenario, we, we walk through a volcano being the, the winning topic of the day and the algorithm to be able to pull through um, media from a recent eruption in Hawaii, for example, and, and bring that through and then respond to the children uh, as they're learning and bringing through poems from Japan about what it's like to live in the shadow of a, a volcano. So very organic, very responsive learning set that still um, is able to meet the needs of, of the curriculum. Then greater connection uh, with other schools and other countries in terms of the learning. So there's a, a, a asynchronous lesson with a, a school in Morocco, for example, where there are two avatar teachers that teach simultaneously. So one is teaching English to children in Morocco, one's teaching French to children in in the UK and they're they're both learning together they're conversing together they've got challenges um, going on uh, at the same time in different languages to compete so you you're growing this sense that you know, you're part of a global community from a very early age but then as well we're able to be much much more responsive about future jobs and what they might look like so bringing through um, different styles of dietitians, uh, algorithmic dietitians, for example, or, or robotics applications, and, and having those conversations much earlier on um, between industry and, and schools. Um, and then in terms of the feedback, kind of part of the feedback I've had from Sam and other head teachers has been around more of the whole child and what that might look like. So it's not just around education and schools, and it's not just around preparation for jobs. Um, it's kind of how you can stimulate children to be ready to learn. Uh, and there's some fascinating work going on in the US around um, the use of gaming in particular or sensory environments that help children to calm and be prepared for learning from the moment they're in school. Uh, some great work with Tetris uh, to reduce down post-traumatic stress after events. It, it, the neuroscience is that it disrupts the neural pathways um, and there's less chance of flashback 
And so some of those technologies could come in almost in a playful scenario just to help children um, be ready to be at school and to be children and to learn and thrive and grow. And it was interesting, Caroline, as Claire was doing the presentation to us, both myself and myself, a kind of seasoned educator, and they're going, okay, stay up reminded, Sam. And then there's, 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 there's James Allington, who's there, a young dynamic teacher in his, his mid-twenties, and, and then most of it's going, we've got to be brave, listen to what the future could be, while kind of going, what about us? We do bring value, we are more than AI, honestly. So but I think there's a place in between both of those where you do have to. There's a point at which education does need to fully engage with different models. Because for all that we we know many things in education work well, we're still creating an education system that is not breaching social, social mobility. It's not leading to all children achieving. It's not always fully meeting the needs of the children with special educational needs. And if we don't think different, what are we going to be doing? Doing the same thing in 100 years' time? So there's, there's a courage you have to have as an educator when someone like Claire comes in and makes you go, OK, thanks, that makes you feel great. Um, but you, you also have to listen. And, it, and it's, it's messages, I think, that are coming in from many places. I was talking to Claire about... Um, I can't remember if I talked to you about it at the time. I think I did, Claire. There was a wonderful series that came out on the BBC a few years ago, 2014, ages ago, actually, called The Educators. And they were a series of short half-hour think pieces from people looking at education through another lens. And one of those was Sugata Mitra. Mm -hmm. And he was talking in, in his broadcast about education and technology and how formal education is pretty much out of date because children can educate themselves and there's only so long that you can kind of close your ears to that and go yes but let's it works fine like it is and I think that the last 18 months showed us two sides of that and this is what we were saying to Claire yes they can learn virtually yes we have to think differently but what it also showed in that children and school schooling being removed and education happening, education, schooling are different things, is that the nurture, well-being, human interconnectivity and relationships, without that, even if you go into the very best version of AI, you've lost something because that's where we were. In a way, we were all forced into this, this space in that 18 months, kind of cobbled, not really, really future thinking. But yes, we need to embrace that future way of learning but we also need to remember that we are a human human species. We're human animals, and that is more than just our minds. It's our hearts and our souls as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I should declare that I, I have no intention of losing teachers. They are absolutely critical in terms of the development of children and development of broader society. I think part of the provocation was Actually, if you look at the ed tech industry, there's 400 billion a year being invested in, in technologies. The UK is far behind other countries. And, and so it's not in the realms of science fiction for somebody in policy to go, oh, here's a brilliant tool, let's implement it. Um, and for it not to really be a fit with local conditions and, and local nuances. Um, and what I've seen in other industries, for example, uh, in fashion, where the technology has worked alongside um, the professionals, the technology is, is 
um, taking away some of the high volume tasks, what, leaving the fashion designer to do the high value work, mm. to do the, the real game changing work. You know, kind of there's no sub, there's no direct substitute. There's augmentation and support, and that's where I think the value can come. And I think the other part that came through for me is is part of my education work over the years has been been looking at education both nationally but also around the development of schooling and education in low-income countries in low-income countries you pretty much have got technical coverage people have got mobile phones but they haven't got a teacher in front of them in a school and is there a space where as you think about future teaching and future future ideas around ai augmented learning would that not just help with the social mobility gap in Britain, but could it look more globally at a social mobility gap? Could you actually, you're looking at people at places like the Khan Academy, they've put out there learning that is completely accessible. So it, in a way, we're nearly there. And is, it, is actually future learning going to be the thing that just does a leap mm. for the gap in low-income low low, low countries where people are not fully accessing traditional schooling yeah i think really interestingly you know what you're describing is using this provocation uh to to really pick apart you know the education system but also you know what what are the most valuable things that a teacher can be doing you know what what are the barriers to learning for different different types of pupils and and what do those different solutions or or setups look like if you start to break the model that we that we find ourselves in today which as we say has its roots um you know a, a long way a long way back um so i hope that all the people who were kind of i don't know gripping onto a cushion or having their blood pressure rising, uh, hearing you talk about a future without teachers, now understand that that is not what you're saying, um, but that it is a really interesting way to sort of open up open up this conversation and also, also make it more accessible. I think what can be difficult sometimes is if you don't, if you don't feel like you have the, the technological vocabulary or knowledge of, of how these things work, um, you know, you, you can't participate in the discussions as as readily. Um, mm -hmm. I know I have, you know, linguistic failure when I try and describe anything on my computer screen to another person. <laughs> that bit in the thing where it, you know. Um, so I think that's it's, it's really it's really interesting to sort of start mm -hmm. with the education really, and then kind of. And I'd agree with you, Caroline. I think I mean I think as a school leader. The word provocation is an interesting one. I think as a school leader, we are so often caught up in the minutiae. We're caught up in the details. We're caught up in the what we're going to, what knowledge do we need to impart to year four in history? How do I get my year sixes to get their 65% combined? And sometimes we need to broaden the lens. We need to have people like Claire putting a bit of grit in, grit in, grit in the oyster provoking us to think bigger and differently because our job as leaders is to think we're not paid for our brawn we're paid for our brains we have to think and if leaders in education sometimes don't look with a wider lens and think 
education system will carry on repeating the same processes or waiting for someone externally to tell us what to do. Mm. And, and if nothing else, working with Claire makes us stop and go, oh, okay, think, think bigger, think wider, think a different lens on the way education of our children could be, or at least partly could be. And I think, I think it's the job of leaders in education to stop and take time to broaden the lens and look at things differently. And as and as you were saying as as well, Claire, this you know if you if you become part of the conversation and and work with technology and develop it and 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 make it more useful, then that will be better than a potential kind of technological solution that could just sort of sweep in um, without having that in, engagement in its development. And you know we 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 talked talked a little bit about um, you know re- remote learning referenced it, it it there and um obviously it did enable um education to continue in some form during during those um parts of the pandemic where not all children were able to to be in school and um very much f- flagged up where schools had the infrastructure and kind of resilience to 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 do a remote learning offer straight away and and where a lot of a lot of things had to move and shift for that to happen um, Claire, I'm interested in your kind of broader experience of of, of, te- of technology in in other sectors, and it's it's obviously a crucial part of of business resilience um, now as as well. Do do you think um, the the pandemic experience has has changed organisations' relationship with with technology now that you know we're so re- so reliant on it in lots of ways? Almost certainly. Um irrespective of the debate around hybrid working and and whether you're working virtually or or together, uh, what has happened over the last 18 months is an acceleration in technology. So AI has continued and has marched forward at a much faster pace. Um, Other countries have not had the same levels of lockdown or or impact as, as we have here in the UK. Um, they've been able to introduce very different offers to consumers and to buyers within businesses. And so there have been some significant strides forward. And um, similarly, we've seen a range, well, in part in technology, in part in business as well. But we've seen where kind of a combination of you get bigger and bigger businesses like Amazon that are investing heavily within technology And at the same time, you have a number of small businesses that are setting up and are really putting extra grit in the oyster, as it were, to use Sam's um, analogy. But Uber, for example, just didn't exist as a concept, but has come in as a huge challenger brand, um, leveraged technology and and disrupted a whole series of industries. And so what I'm seeing um, in lots of different countries is an ambition, is a is a will among um, tech businesses and, and other businesses to really start disrupting and, and put a completely different offer on the table. So you know, even those larger, more established firms are being challenged. Uh, one of the things that I do um, as a project as well is I'm a subject matter lead um, for a large business school and looking at the impact um, on business at the moment. And you see the fashion industry, for example, adopting crypto 
um, in, in their world. But it's something that the banking industry hasn't really considered or the leaders that are on the course hadn't really considered the impact of crypto in their world. And so we're seeing um, lots of different uh, technologies being deployed at different rates in different countries and in different industries. And so we're learning all of the time. And I think what that brings for a lot of leaders is the, is the potential for being blindsided. And it's a neat, it's a time when you most need to be most extrovert and you're learning, you need to explore, you need to test, you need to challenge what's going on in your own business environment because things are changing fast. Indeed, indeed. And, um, you know, Sam, what were your experiences like of kind of r- remote learning and kind of keeping keeping going at that at that time and and your your sort of levels of reliance on technology um well they they were distinctly different between the first lockdown and the second lockdown i think when 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 the pandemic first hit i think many schools were caught in a situation that was was didn't have enough lead-in time to do anything significantly different than that which we had and i think it was a sharp wake-up call um, that we needed to become more tech aware so that we could provide the best we had available to the community as in case we, 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 we came back into the situation again. So as a school, we did a rapid improvement plan from July 2020 through till December. We made sure we had the tech available. We made sure we had a clarity. It's where James came in and took over the role of virtual learning. We had an adult who had that headspace to get us to a point that was was viable. Um, And we did a large investment in the technology, training the children so that they were ready to learn remotely. Um, I'm also aware in doing that that we, we had multiple conversations with different members of our parent body um trying to get a sample across the different layers of our parent body because we also didn't want to provide something that wasn't accessible or usable from home there's a point in which you have to meet where the needs of your community are we could have jumped even further into something even more full-on and snazzy um but we would have lost about a quarter we would have lost probably three quarters of our community and they wouldn't have been able to do it anyway so we we did put in place a strong virtual learning offer by january Um, We made sure that it was supportive of families by using existing virtual learning platforms um, to support mathematics and reading teaching, because to recreate everything would have not made it as accessible for families and also overdone the burden for teachers. So in a way, you have a vision of what could be, but then you have the reality and the accessibility that's needed. I'd say the other thing, so so by by that January, there was, we're pretty much, had the exact same offer remotely as we had in school we also maintained tuition for our most vulnerable children remotely through the entirety of that lockdown which we made sure was in place but then I come back to the other point that me and Claire were talking about alongside that we kept a very very human contact we were making regular phone calls. We were making sure that food got to families. So again, you you can get the virtual learning, but the virtual learning without the human link, particularly to the most vulnerable people, you would have forgotten that there were people experiencing crisis at the same time. Mm. So 
But I would also say, Caroline, that the, what we provided was what schools currently do, but at home. So it was your teacher taught lesson. It was your work done to a set prescription. It's, it's not what Claire's describing because we, we, we were reproducing that which is yeah. because the system isn't far enough along to look at it differently. No, and, and I think it's interesting to think about, um, you know, obviously we're, we're focusing remote learning a lot in conversations on this podcast, but thinking more about um, work in general. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you can enable home working, but people still fill their diary with meetings in the same they mm -hmm. would do if they were in an office together. Absolutely. No, no I mean, asynchronous I mean, I, activity, you know, all these sorts of things that we know people haven't yeah. really I would, I would add on as well, Caroline. I think, I think it, it was an interesting, I mean, again, from a head, head teacher perspective, what the virtual learning did in that spring term is it maintained the children. So... We, we, we had the children come back to us in March at the same level they left us. We didn't, not many children went backwards because the virtual learning was kind of a maintain, whereas the face-to-face -face learning in the autumn term, we'd caught up probably half of the children who'd lost learning. Mm. So you, we could maintain virtually. We couldn't grow and do the extra of catching up. Um, whereas in the first lockdown, they regressed. The first lockdown where you didn't have remote learning that matched school, the children regressed in their learning. The second lockdown where you essentially provided the school curriculum to be delivered by parents and used technology to support that, they maintained. I think for AI to reach where current schooling is, it has to do what current schooling does, i.e. move faster than just sustaining. Um, and that, I think, is the challenge of going how that that will be the challenge. That's the personalising that Claire's describing, because that's what a teacher does. They personalise. Exactly. So. And yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because we've 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 looked at this, um, you know, kind of completely hypothetical future model where children are voting on what they're going to learn today and there are no no teachers um, which is we've we've discussed is is really you know a, a way to to have the debate and discussion, uh, but we know you know schools um, have had more access to ed tech and are um, you know and, and and more change is happening more quickly as a result of the the pandemic. What do you both see kind of you know not in the too distant future? but kind of coming on the, the horizon for schools, be that, um, you know, things that maybe the, the parents want to see, like obviously it's often talked about um, remote parents' evenings, they're, you know, they're still happening, et cetera. Like what, what kind of technological changes do you think are sort of in the near, near future? I think that one of the easy wins is that we learnt to personalise for the children who are not able to access the core of learning. So I think in the near future, um, personalized virtual curricula and support for children who struggle. Um, children who maybe they're in year four, but they're still working on some of their year two skills. That, that, that can have a layer that's provided virtually to support their learning and be much more nuanced to the, the skills they need to have. That I think is a very quick win and something that should be in place. I think homework, the whole 
homework parent relationship thing needs a massive rethink. I think there were massive lessons learned. We reviewed all of our homework policies. We've kept the virtual learning platforms we use for maths and English to support homework. But I think the old fashioned homework that schools know we've moved on from, but you're still doing because parents have a feeling that, that without homework, they're not doing their job properly. That that debate needs to move on quite quickly. Um, I think the other part is probably curricula. I believe, and hearing the children in this school, I think science, technology and engineering need to be seen as a core subject of primary education. I think that science without technology and engineering is only doing half of what science is in the current modern world. And I think that should, I think design and technology and science being separate, design and technology not quite being fixed through. I think science, technology, engineering, and the robotics element, coding element of computing should just become a curricular part of primary schools. Yeah. And I build, I agree with all of that. And I build on that with uh, perhaps some more um, creative and cultural experiences being brought through. So uh, I've been doing some some particular work with an EdTech developer who's been developing a creative writing tool, for example, that helps uh, children to extrapolate from a museum artifact with their own story. And in the background, the AI tools make sure that that child's expanding their vocabulary all the time. It's built in sentiment analysis. You can see how the child's feeling through all the range of emotions that they're expressing. So there's these, the tools are getting more and more nuanced. And then similarly, the world of VR, uh, virtual reality and immersive experiences with an immersive dome here in Plymouth, you know, kind of bringing the concept of a shuttle launch to life in the imagination of children and and so i think you know kind of those types of technologies that help to inspire and and drive children forward creatively are are important as well as the skills in in terms of technology great great stuff and um claire we we you know we we've talked a lot about about technology and and schools and um some people might be thinking you know access to funding for for lots of things is is challenging and maybe this is you know um all fine for kind of private sectors and big big business um but i'm interested to ask you claire particularly because you've got a lot of experience in their health sector um you know are there any interesting kind of parallels that you can make between things that are happening in health and education and how you balance kind of public sector spending yeah um Certainly, this this mismatch in terms of development within industry and within providers, that's that's an absolute parallel. And I'd managed a, a very successful um, healthcare provider for a number of years. And uh, as somebody who's curious about technology and curious about behavioral science as well in terms of, of healthcare, I had an endless stream of innovators coming to the door to profess that they'd solved all the problems. Here's all the problems of the NHS, here's your solution, just by this. Um, and what I found, uh, not difficult, it's not the right word, but what I found challenging about that was a lack of understanding of the pressures that were within a healthcare environment. So we consciously carved out time to have the conversations, to have the discussions with 
technology developers and, and providers that almost we were encouraging them to solve the problems, the real problems that we saw on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to the theoretical problems that were being solved. Um, and so I do sometimes see a gap between providers and uh, and those technologists, and, and that's closing. Um, but I think at a time when any, within healthcare and within education, where we are also stretched with our resources and caught in a reactive catch-up mode and, and the day-to-day -day pressures, it can be hard to you know, add something else to the diary, but it is so important in terms of, of future change that's that that that's really interesting to 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 think about that and as you say that real um you know experts at the front line trying to be sold the latest best thing i'm sure a lot of um uh, teachers and leaders listening to this will um yeah recognize that that scenario for themselves and and finally is there anything else that you'd like to to share with our audience before we we close ab about this subject and no, well, one of the things that I would share is it's not just about the technology uh, in terms of how you prepare for the future. It's as much around your leadership style and how you engage your teams and how you encourage your teams to develop their own interests and bring that back to support the overall business, the overall environment. And that's certainly something that Sam's uncovered here in terms of James Allington and his interest in technology he's he's been given that reign that responsibility to, to go and have a play um, and in my experience in in leading business the more that you can um, share that responsibility share that enthusiasm the more prepared you'll be for the future and the more cohesive you'll be as a as a group and i think what i would add to that caroline is as a head teacher always remember to look out as well as look in on your organisation, because that's where you'll find the new ideas and the ways in which education can prepare these children, as you said, for the future that we haven't even imagined. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating conversation, so much to, to, to think about. And I think it's um, really, really interesting how, you know, you, you, you've come together as a, as a, as a parent at the school and, and a head teacher and, and just having um, this, this fascinating dialogue and really appreciate you sharing it with our listeners. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please, Tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.